Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with Joseph and his brothers as we pick up in Genesis chapter 37, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Genesis chapter 37. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. So... There is now developing a strained relationship between Joseph and his brothers. Because of Jacob and his love for Rachel, when Joseph was born, he almost became immediately a favored son kind of a status. And No doubt Jacob indicated his favoritism towards Joseph all the way along. And now Joseph is 17 years old. And he's out as all of the boys were engaged in the industry of shepherding. But his brothers have been goofing off. And Joseph is the tattletale. He comes and he tells his dad what his brothers are doing, which, of course, never endears you with your brothers. Uh, It's always hard to have a brother who is a narc. And so that's just thrown in there. It it, it just, the scripture, verse 2, is just sort of thrown in there. And I think to just give us a little bit of the insight why his brothers really began to resent him and hate him. He was Mr. Good Guy, and they were bad guys, and, and he was telling on them, and he was bringing their evil report to his dad. He was reporting on them to their dad, and so uh, that is surely going to bring resentment against Joseph, which of course it did. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. Now in the Hebrew, this particular phrase, they didn't know quite how to translate it and this idea of coat of many colors pretty much came from Martin Luther. Uh, and his endeavor to translate the Hebrew phrase. But since that time of the King James translation and the discovery of more ancient records, it is now believed that this should have been translated, made him a sleeveless coat. And that would seem to be a more accurate translation of this particular difficult Hebrew phrase. Now, the connotation of a sleeveless coat was that of rulership. The rulers wore sleeveless kind of 
or rather a coat with sleeves is what it should be, and I'll get there in a minute. Uh, the sleeveless coats were worn by the laborers, and the rulers wore the coats with sleeves because the coat with sleeves, you really couldn't do much work in those. And so it indicated more of an aristocracy, a rulership class, not a working class, to have a coat with sleeves. The sleeveless coat was the worker's coat, and so when his dad made him a coat with sleeves, it was giving a definite message to his brothers of Jacob's intention of making Joseph the ruler. And uh, that was the intention of Jacob. It really did not come about by Jacob's devices, but later did come about by God's devices. But Jacob in the 49th chapter, which is a classic chapter, gives the reasons why the other brothers of Joseph really did not inherit the place of blessing as did Joseph. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his other brothers, they hated him and they could not speak peaceably unto him. Real problems arose there in the family of sibling rivalry, of hatred, and uh, their inability now to, to even say a kind word to him. So Joseph, no doubt, was suffering much from the attitude and the actions of his older brothers. Can you imagine having ten older brothers that were sort of jealous of you because of your position. Our daughter Cheryl had two older brothers and barely survived <laughs> because they thought that she had a favored position, which she probably has had. I wouldn't doubt or deny that totally. <laughs> but uh, she suffered much at the hands of her brothers because of their supposed at least favored position that they thought that she had within the family just because she rules it. Uh, <laughs> but at any rate, Joseph had to go through with 10 older brothers, all of them feeling resentment towards him, none of them able to really speak a kind word to him. And you can imagine all of the things that they did to antagonize him and to torment him, you know, tripping him and giving him an elbow now and then. And all of those things that just really made life quite miserable for Joseph. But even to compound the problems, Joseph dreamed a dream. And he told his brothers, and they hated him even more. For he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream that I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in a field, and lo, my sheaf arose and stood up straight. And behold, all of your sheaves stood round about and did obeisance. They bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said unto him, Shall thou indeed reign over us? Or shall thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet more for his dreams and for his words. Very sharp contention there. He dreamed yet another dream. 
And he told his brothers and said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars bowed down to me. And he told it to his father and to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that, you've have, that you have dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brothers indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? And his brothers envied him, but his father observed the same. Jacob tucked it away in the back of his mind, probably wondering just what is going to happen. What significance is there to this? This particular dream of Joseph helps us in the understanding of the book of Revelation. For in the book of Revelation, it goes into an allegorical type of references in the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation, where John saw a woman clothed with the sun and the moon and the 12 stars who was about ready to bring forth a child. The woman of the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation is identified by this dream to be the nation Israel. To try to give to the woman any other identity is to speculate only and it's unscriptural speculation. There are many today who, in order to try to prove that the church is going to go through the great tribulation, identify the woman as the church. But there is no scriptural kind of foundation to try to make the woman the church because nowhere is the church described as having the sun and the moon and the 12 stars surrounding it. And they make the man-child that comes forth from the woman sort of a super saints who are caught up during the midst of the great tribulation period, but that is surely a straining of the text and not a natural scriptural flowing. The woman of chapter 12, because of the identification, must be the nation Israel. And as I have pointed out in the book of Revelation, if the woman is the church, she's in serious trouble because she's pregnant and just about ready to have a child. And Paul speaks of the church as a chaste virgin and he wanted to present the church as a chaste virgin unto Christ, certainly not as a pregnant mother. So uh, it strains the interpretation of the church that much, uh, trying to make the woman in Revelation the church, it strains it that much more. But here gives cause to identify, and surely the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. And the Bible is an amazing commentary on the Bible. It's amazing how many of the things in Genesis are explained further in the scriptures or how <clears throat> even amplified further in the scriptures. So the best commentary you can ever buy on the Bible is just the Bible itself. Comparing scripture with scripture. 
So his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. They probably figured, we're getting out of here. This nut with his dreams and all and can't stand him. And we'll head for Shechem, which was about 67 miles away from where they were staying there in the area of Hebron. And Israel said to Joseph, Do not your brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said unto him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, and see whether it is well with your brothers and well with their flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, Who are you looking for? And he said, I'm looking for my brothers. Tell me, I pray thee, where are they feeding their flocks? And the man said, They are departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Hey, here comes the dreamer. So surely Joseph nor his father had any idea that the brother's hatred had grown to this extent. Else his father would have never sent him. And Joseph probably but it would have been reluctant in going. But coming to Dothan or coming to Shechem and not finding them, he was just sort of roaming in the field. I would imagine that he was looking for evidences, probably trying to find a trail, looking for uh, the footprints of the flocks and so forth, and, and just going back and forth through the field, trying to find the trail, trying to find out which direction they may have gone. And as he was just sort of wandering in the field, looking for evidences of where they might be, this man said, who are you looking for? And he said, do you happen to know where my brothers have gone with their flocks? And they, he said, yeah, I heard one of them say they're going to Dothan. So he headed out 20 miles further north to Dothan. And so he's now almost 90 miles away from home. And his brothers, seeing him come, conspired together to kill him. They said, Come now, therefore, let us kill him. We'll cast him into a pit, and we'll say some evil beast must have devoured him, and we will see then what will become of his dreams, showing the deep resentment they had towards his dreams, the very idea that they would bow down to him. We'll thwart, really, the plan of God, see what happens to God's plans after we kill him. Of course, there are many who see in Joseph a beautiful type of Jesus Christ. And Satan's endeavor to destroy Jesus to see what could become then of God's plans. And uh, of course, God's plans were fulfilled in the death of Christ. Reuben heard it, the oldest brother, and he delivered him out of the hands and said, hey, let's not kill him. Reuben said unto them, Don't shed blood. Let's just throw him in this pit that is here in the wilderness. And don't lay any hand upon him that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. Now, 
Reuben being the oldest brother would be then the one who would be most responsible. He would be the one that would be responsible to his dad for his youngest brother. And so seeing that these guys were really serious in their intention to kill him, he, he felt that it was his responsibility to save him from their anger. And so he suggests an alternate plan. Don't kill him. Just throw him in the pit. Let him starve to death. And that way you don't get your hands bloody. And you won't have his blood on your hands. You just let him die there in the pit. And he was intending to come back around later and to let Joseph out of the pit and, and deliver him back safe to his father. Joseph would have been safe around his father. And it came to pass when Joseph was come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, even as they stripped Jesus of his robe and cast lots. And they took him and cast him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. So it indicates that it was probably a cistern. Now all over that land, they have dug these huge cisterns in the rock, which are water reservoirs. And uh, some of them have, were dug in an area where there was a fracture in the rock and, and they would not hold water. So here was a cistern. It was empty. They usually, all of them have very steep sides. And so they decided to dump Joseph in the cistern. And they sat down to eat bread. And they lifted up their eyes and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spices and balm and myrrh going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh, and his brothers were content. Now whether or not it was Judah's desire to save his life or to make money is only a matter of speculation. But he is suggesting that they, again, not actually kill him. They could actually make some money off of him. What profit is it to kill him? Let's just sell him and we'll make money off of him. And how pure were Judah's motives or well-intentioned as far as Joseph is concerned is only speculation. We really don't know for sure. Then there passed by the Midianite merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. And so he is rejected by his brethren and sold. Even, again, in the typology, as Christ was rejected by his brethren and uh, was sold for 30 pieces of silver by Judas Iscariot. Now at this point, Joseph was really crying and pleading with his brothers that they would uh, have mercy on him and all. And uh, his brothers just really turned a deaf ear unto his pleas. And uh, later on in the book of Genesis, it, it tells how that his brothers, when he was 
playing games with them in Egypt and putting pressure on them, said, you know, uh, this is really our fault. We didn't have mercy on our brother. In the 42nd chapter, verse 21, and they said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he begged us and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. And so going just a little bit ahead in the story, when Joseph became the ruler in Egypt and his brothers came down to buy grain, they did not recognize Joseph. Of course, some 20 years had transpired. Joseph was just 17 years old when his brothers sold him. He was 30 years old when he came to Pharaoh, and he was seven years of the famine, I mean of the feast, or the, the, the plentiful years, so uh, he was at least 20 years older since his brothers last saw him. And he was now older, matured, and return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Genesis on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Genesis 37 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you. And may your life Be an instrument in God's hand this week. May God help you to share his love with those that are still sitting in darkness. And may you experience the anointing of God's Spirit upon your life in a new and a very special way as he empowers you to do his work. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Lord, I believe in you. I'll always believe in you. It is by faith that you've been walking into one level of spiritual maturity to another. Faith is the key to a successful Christian life. That is why the Word of God tells us Without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
It was faith that led Abraham into the land of promise. It was faith that led the children of Israel through the Red Sea. It was faith that enabled Peter to step out of the boat and to walk on water. The question is, what might faith do in you? To order a copy of Pastor Chuck's book, Faith, or to preview a chapter for free online, visit thewordfortoday.org or call 800-272-9673.